Welcome back. Another great episode. Today's guest zooming in all the way from beautiful Sherwood Park, Alberta. We got Jeremy Heyman, who is a real estate investor that does a variety of things. The main focus he has is around investing in and around Edmonton. So he's done lots of different stuff, single family homes, wholesaling, flips, mobile homes, short-term rentals, all sorts of things with joint venture partners and and raising hard money and all 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 things real estate. So looking forward to this conversation. Jeremy, how are you doing? I'm a little sore, but good otherwise. How are you, Dave? <laughs> I am doing great. I'm doing great. So Jeremy, for for the our listeners, give us a little snapshot of what your portfolio looks like right now. So we invest uh, in the greater Edmonton area. Uh, I think I have two left in the city of Edmonton itself, but it's primarily the surrounding areas, all the satellite communities. Uh Um, We have short-term rentals. We have long-term rentals, have a mobile home. I'm looking to grab another one here actually right away. Uh, We got a couple flips on the go. Um, We have been doing some consulting for infill and we're negotiating on some multifamily here right now as well. So you've you've got experience doing infill as well, or you're getting consulted about doing that? Uh, I'm actually studying real estate appraisal in school uh-huh. uh, over at UBC. So I have the value background of it. And mm-hmm. then I'm uh, basically assisting finding the highest and best use for property. Got it. I got it. All right, cool. So what would you say is the your philosophy when it comes to real estate investing? It looks like you're very, very flexible about the style that you apply or the the method that you apply. I guess it kind of depends on what lands in your lap and what kind of deal you're looking at. Would that be fair to say? Absolutely. We're value-add investors. And once we find a property that has some good value, we make the phone call to whichever friend that we have that specializes in that area. And we say, hey, this is what I found. Do you want to help me with it? And away we go. So what does that mean exactly? So if you got a, you're finding deals, what are you what are you doing to generate leads for deals at this point? What's working best for you, Jeremy? I've made a ton of connections in the wholesaling world. Um, I look through the MLS just about daily, uh, driving for dollars. Um, if your guests are familiar with that strategy, and just about everyone that I talk to knows that real estate is my entire life. So if they say, "Hey, I found this house." Are you interested in it? I can usually take a five minute, like, hey, yes, no, okay, and then pass it off to whoever would would make a good deal out of it or just leave it alone altogether. Right. So it sounds like you've become very, very good at number one, networking and connecting with other real estate investors and wholesalers primarily. Mm -hmm. Uh, Number two, kind of doing the grassroots marketing type stuff, like driving for dollars and looking for deals. And number three, just getting the, the word out there that this is your thing. And, and if you see anything that even smells like a deal, let me know. Mm-hmm. 100%. <laughs> Very cool. All right. So, <clears throat> so you get an opportunity that kind of comes across your desk. What's your criteria? You, you mentioned you're looking at value add. So what are some of the typical kind of things that you're seeing on a regular basis? So we're looking mostly for flip properties nowadays. Okay. Um, so we're looking for, so question, at the time that we're recording this, we're towards the end of, of March, 2023. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of places, people are scared spitless of doing flips because the whole interest rate and flattening market and all that kind of stuff. You're jumping in both feet in, into that. Why Why are you focusing more on flips right now? Uh, how familiar are you with the immigration policies? 
fairly fairly familiar. Yep, <laughs> sounds good. So in the in the third quarter of last year, we saw about seventy five thousand people move to the province of Alberta here. Approximately twenty thousand of them moving to the city of Edmonton. I, I believe it was forty five or fifty thousand moving to the city of Calgary, which has reduced the vacancy significantly in both cities. Um, the city of Edmonton specifically is moving is aiming to grow to about two million people, which right now it's just over a million. Um, by about 2040, give or take, 2044, I think is the hard number that they've set for them or the hard goal that they've set for themselves. Mm -hmm. And in order to reach that goal, there is has to be a either a huge influx of demand, which we're already seeing. Um, and we're, we're actually seeing those numbers of people come in, uh, whether it's through the AAIP or uh, uh, domestic or interprovincial immigration, I should say. Right. All right. Very good. So there is there is built up demand and and you're seeing uh the the demand for properties increasing in spite of what's going on with interest rates and and all that kind of good stuff so there's okay cool all right so you're looking for focusing on more uh flip type properties so what how do, how does that affect your your marketing efforts the actual marketing efforts to go find them um honestly i can tell my my list of realtors that hey this is the criteria that i'm looking for right now uh -huh. do you have anything on the go and most realtors because they're kind of hard up on some of the other aspects with the um more retail side of things mm -hmm. they spend their time going through the mls trying to find off-market deals whatever they can do in order to try and get a deal so they spend their time looking for things and then they just send it to me afterwards nice you've outsourced the you've outsourced the pounding the pavement and the looking at the mls you still do it but you're getting these guys to do a lot of the work for you Smart. So when you find a deal, what are you typically doing to, to finance that? How are you coming up with the cash for down payments, renovation costs, that sort of thing, Jeremy? So we do a number of different things, just depending on what we need in order to actually make the deal work. Yeah. Um, one thing that we've, we started doing last year is crowdfunding. So we take a whole bunch of smaller investors or people who want to get into the game and we put them all together, basically make a giant partnership and once we have that, we talk to a hard money lender and away we go. Uh, I believe you're used to uh, Calvert Home Mortgage. I've heard of that. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they're quite, quite predominant here in Alberta and they have a set list of criteria. Actually, just before uh, recording this, I was on the phone with them about a brand new deal that we, uh, we crowdfunded. Mm -hmm. And once we have all our ducks in a row, we say, hey, this is what we're doing. We submit our plan and then they say yes or no. I have yet to have them say no, but um, yeah, they just say, "Hey, okay, here you go, and let's uh, let's get some let's let's get some deals on the go." So yeah. So so walk us through the whole crowdfunding process. I personally have not done that before, hmm. uh, so I think that would be really interesting just to kind of big picture how that all works. Fair enough. So there's lots of investors out there who want to get into the real estate game, but they. They're kind of scared. They don't have the capital. There's a whole bunch of things that are holding them back. And crowdfunding actually allows them, for anybody who doesn't know, crowdfunding is actually where people pool all their resources together, and then they can take on a bigger project. Mm -hmm. Typically, you see this in like larger syndication firms, um, looking at multi-million dollar assets, um, industrial spaces, retail, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, but we've taken that concept and we've actually put it into small projects, single family flips, um, burrs, stuff like that. So we have a minimum now. Um, it used to be 5,000 for an investment, but we've now raised that to 10,000 just because we had, a, unfortunately, a whole bunch of tire kickers at 5,000. Mm. And people 
we're trying to avoid people using their lines of credit and such because just because there's really no margins after that. And if anything right. goes wrong, they don't get anything. Yeah. But if we get 10 people together, each of them have $10,000, we've raised the hundred grand. So, and what platform are you using to, to do this and, and how are you, or what needs to be done to stay compliant with the Alberta Securities Commission around this kind of stuff? So there's a whole bunch of rules and regulations around um, obviously um, investing. What we do instead is when people reach out to me, uh, whether it's on Snapchat, which is a one I don't hear quite often, uh, Instagram or Facebook, um, I just ask them, hey, let's go for coffee. And once I understand what their goals and what they want to achieve are, I can shoot them a text when I have something that meets their criteria. All right. So you're getting to know that you're developing a, a relationship with these folks and and that's how you're getting in under the close friends, family members, business associates kind of category so that you don't have to do offering memorandums and, and things like that. So you're not necessarily using a crowdfunding platform per se. You're just bringing on a, a bunch of little investors quote unquote, little investors, folks that have the five to 10 to 20 grand type range, pooling all that together, and then going ahead and, and doing whatever it is that you want to do. Absolutely. Got it. All right. Now, how are they secured on these kind of deals? Are they, is it typically through promissory notes? Or are you doing some, how, how do they get their money secured? Uh, we do a joint venture agreement, and then we attach that to the property itself. Interestingly enough, none of my partners have actually wanted to go on title as well, which is statistically unlikely, but uh, that is their choice at the end of the day. And if they want to, um, the way that Calvert has everything set up is you just have to submit some more paperwork. Mm -hmm. So I would prefer if they come on title, it would make me feel better about it. But if they don't want to, that's their business. But at least they got some security in the joint venture agreement itself. Yes. There are a few that have uh, promissory notes here with me as well, but typically it is joint venture agreements. Okay. What would you say are the pros and the cons? It sounds like you you did one a little while ago. Not everything worked 100% perfectly. Nothing mm -hmm. ever does. So with that that learning experience and saying, hey, I don't want to deal with people with you know five grand, 10 grand is the minimum now. How did that kind of, what's the story behind that, Jeremy? We had about five people lined up to go do a house flip over in Edmonton yeah. and um, three of them backed out to last minute, yeah. like a week before we were supposed to be closing. Yeah. Um, so thankfully we did find a, uh, a lender, a private lender who we just wrote a promissory note for, but uh, you're aware of the Costco effect? Explain it. Probably I'm a Costco member, but explain to me what the Costco effect means. Sounds fair. So when you charge somebody for something, they are more likely to hold it at a higher value. Yeah. The people that go to Costco and the people that go to Walmart are going to be buying things at around the similar price, but you're going to see a completely different profile of people that go to Costco because they have to pay that initial membership versus the profile that go to Walmart. Right. Even though at the end of the day, they're spending roughly the same amount of money um, per item, you're just looking for a higher class of people. I hear you, man. I mean, I'm, I'm listening to this and the, and the idea of, of bringing together a whole bunch of little investors with five or 10 grand um, sounds good, but my experience is it's an absolute freaking nightmare and they, they tend to be the absolute worst investors 
on board. You know, we're trying to do them a favor. We're trying to get them involved in a deal with relatively little money. But at the end of the day, if you can get one guy or gal on board with 100, 150 grand, chances are that person's going to be a lot less hassle to deal with. You don't have to serve multiple different quote unquote masters or investors. In this case, you've got just one person you're dealing with and it, it definitely makes life a lot easier. Now you got to do what you got to do when you're getting going a lot. I know a lot of people who've done exactly that kind of hodgepodge people together, but as quickly as possible, then they got to, okay, let's one investor, one deal. That's <laughs> for single family home type deals. That, that is the ideal situation, but hats off to you, my friend, you, you, you learned your lesson and, and now, now you're, you've adjusted accordingly. Yeah. So one of the things that, that I always recommend people try to do is when you get an investor on board, somebody says, yeah, I, I want to invest in your deal, whatever that price point is that they're going to be coming in at. It always, in my experience has worked a lot better if you get them to sign off on an expression of interest or something like that. It's not legally binding, but just the fact that they've signed off on that increases the likelihood of them coming through with the deal so much more. Mm -hmm. And then the other tip, which you've learned as well is, you know, yeah, don't believe everybody <laughs> because sometimes they fib. And number two is, hey, get a whole bunch, you know, if you if you know you're going to need a hundred grand lined up for a specific deal, try to have 150 lined up. So that way, when the flake out factor kind of dissipates, you, you've probably got the money that you need and you don't have to scramble so much last minute. Yeah. And then like you did, which was smart, get them lined up ahead of time. Yeah, that's that's always the idea. But yeah, it, the, the flake factor, that could really bite a guy in the butt. It does. And uh, actually, on my most recent multifamily deal, it uh, did significantly. I had one of my major lenders line, or major partners lined up for 500K on a 1.4 total. Yeah. And I texted him the day before we put the offer in because it's a seller finance deal that we were looking at. Can't have conditions. Yeah. So texted him the day of and no, no answer. I'm like, okay. So waited a couple of days, texted him again no answer. I called him and it goes to voicemail. I'm like, okay, you could just tell me you're not, you're not interested. Yeah. That's totally cool. But, uh, the 500 grand made it. Well, it, it basically broke that deal, which is yeah. very unfortunate. Yeah, man. I, I hear you that that's a rough situation. So you've done lots of, what, what would you say out of all these interesting creative type deals you've done, Jeremy, which one kind of sticks out at as your, your favorite story? Like the, the one that you like to tell the most or the most creative type deal or out of the, out of the box type deal. I know you've done mobile homes and you've done flips and you've done short-term rentals and owner financing and all this kind of stuff. Is there one that just kind of sticks out for you? I think the most recent one that we're um, just about finishing is probably going to be on that list. Okay. Um, we originally intended it as a flip. We, what is it? Is it what is it? A single family home? No. Yeah, it's a single family home in the satellite community of uh, St. Albert, Alberta. Yeah. Um, extremely high um, class people out there, we'll say, um, yeah. significantly above median household income. And we were intending it for a flip, and we had so many setbacks during the actual process. Um, we're, we're, we'll back up here. We actually got it on the MLS. We put fifteen thousand dollars down. On a seller finance deal, we ended up doing an AFS off the MLS. Wow! And we've <laughs> so AFF AFS off the MLS means agreement for sale, 
off the multiple listing service. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we should have a whole podcast just for acronyms. There you go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we took it seller financing off the MLS. We've actually just extended terms a little bit because we had some uh, setbacks with our contractors Yeah, and we were looking at it and the partners have actually voted to keep it as a, an Airbnb because there's so little competition in that area and they uh-huh. see how our most recent Airbnb is gone. So that's what they want to do here now. So, so yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, right? Especially in, in a high demand upper class type area, you can do very, very well with a, a lovely home that's well furnished in that neck of the town of, of the woods. Interesting, interesting stuff. So over the years, what would you say have been some of the the major learning lessons you've come across, Jeremy? Nothing ever goes to plan. <laughs> yeah, that's a good. It's always never going to work exactly according to plan. It's going to take longer than you planned. It's going to be more expensive than you planned, and sometimes it's less profitable than you thought it was going to be. So that seems like all the lessons right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah, know. yeah. Getting educated as much as I hate the buzz term, it is super, super important. Surrounding yourself with the people that are doing the thing that you want to do Mm. is completely underrated and you cannot network too much. Okay. Well, that brings up a good point. Sounds like you're pretty good at it. The whole networking side of things. You seem like a soft-spoken person. You don't seem like you're, you know, what people would consider the quintessential networker type personality has does does it just come naturally to you or did you have to kind of work at it i had to work at it very strongly okay good i'm that's the that's the answer i was hoping i'd hear from you jeremy so so for the other introverts listening to this going how the hell do i become a a good networker what would you suggest what are some like concrete suggestions that have worked really well for you to get out of that that shell and and be comfortable networking Find what you're passionate about and then try and make find common ground with whoever you're trying to network with. Um, I am extremely passionate about real estate. Um, I can talk about it all day long. If you want to talk about the weather, I got about a five minute social battery. Mm-hmm. So, and then I'm done for the rest of the day. But uh, I can, I think my longest coffee that I've ever had was seven hours with oh a God. wholesaler down in Calgary. <laughs> um, but somebody brings up something that is not real estate related. I, I got about five minutes. Understand your social battery, find a way to extend it and just get out there. All right. So what are you, when, when you are networking with people, sounds like if they're into real estate, then you can have a really good conversation. But let's say they're an average human being. Mm-hmm not a real estate weirdo like you and like I, and like most of our listeners here. Um, how, how do you get that conversation going, kind of turn it towards real estate without boring the snot out of them because they're not real estate weirdos like us is any tips around that? Or do you just really focus on networking with people that already get it around real estate? Definitely the latter. Um, I hang around with, just like real estate investors, people that want to get into real estate. And that's pretty much my entire world. Mm-hmm. So um, every once in a while, I have to go see my in-laws, in which case they ask me about real estate, which is great. Um, but yeah, other than real estate, I I don't have any advice for average human beings. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love it, man. Well, you know what? That, that is a great shortcut. That's a good lesson in itself is, you know, because a lot of, a lot of what, we show people how to do when it comes to bringing on 
investment partners and private capital and all that kind of stuff is to to really start off with their existing connections first, get the word out, reconnect with people, edutain them using technology, which it sounds like you're you're pretty sharp with the techno side of things, but edutain them about what you're up to with real estate investing. Create that curiosity, get them coming to you instead of chasing them down, trying to convince them that real estate's the the, the idea. And then what we always recommend is if you're wanting to build up your connections, doing exactly what you've done is the perfect way to do it. So join your local real estate investment clubs. Edmonton's got some great clubs. You're the uh, What's the big one there? The Edmonton... Uh, EREIA. There you go. Yeah, I spoke of that a few years ago before the pandemic. I mean, literally 100 people in that group, if not more at the time, there were close to 200, I believe, at, at the event I was at. Uh, but go to those kind of meetings and meetups where people have already drank the real estate Kool-Aid. And let me let me ask you this, Jeremy. What I have found is that most of these real estate clubs, everybody gets it around real estate. Otherwise, they wouldn't be there. But very few are actually doing it actively like you are. So there's the 80-20 rule comes into play. you got 20% are there movers and shakers like the, the Jeremy Hemans of the world. The other 80%. Are either waiting on the wings to do their first deal, or they did one five years ago and they haven't done another one since, and but they want to. But the idea of doing it by themselves scares the spit out of them, so they'd much rather partner up with a smart guy like you. Is that, have you found that to be true? Uh, I'd say it's seventy thirty here in Edmonton now, but uh, I, I'd say you're correct. Yeah, it's um, one thing that. Uh, for your listeners, um, the follow-up after one of those meetups, because here in Edmonton, we hold them out once a month. Yeah. Um, there's a whole bunch of different groups, Mogul, uh, Calvin Realty, the EREIA. There's a couple coaches have monthly meetups as well. We've started hosting some of our own meetups. Nice. The follow-up, uh, just a couple of days after that, just sending somebody a quick text. Um, that's how you follow up. And that's what makes that magic sauce actually happen. That is very, very good advice. Yeah. So what's, what's your... What's your go-to text when you're following up with somebody that you just met for the first time at a real estate group? Hey, it was great seeing you the other day. Um, would you want to go for coffee? There you go. I love it. Huh? Go for coffee. Yeah, just meet, have a chat and get that relationship going because that's what it's all about, right? It's all about building up those relationships. Jeremy, good stuff. Love it, my friend. Thank you very much for sharing some of your experience and your wisdom and your hard-earned taking the licks in the in the trenches know-how. So if people want to connect with you and, and find out more about what you do, what's the number one place you would recommend they go? Uh, send me a message over on Instagram, overeducated investor. You can send me a message on. <laughs> I, I love that. Overeducated investor. <laughs> uh, I've spent 11 years in university and I got another six to go. So I, I think it's the perfect handle. <laughs> um, Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Facebook, YouTube, you can send me, most people have my uh, phone number. They can send me a text as well. Awesome. Very good. Awesome. Jeremy, thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun. Sounds good. Thanks, Dave. All right, everybody. Take care and talk to you on the next episode.